I picked all of the last fights. Let's see how many for next week I get right. With the fight selections and the fight reflections, this is fighting with myself. Oh, 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 fighting with myself. Oh, 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 yeah. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to episode four of Fighting With Myself. We are four episodes farther than I thought we would be at this point in life. Um, thank you for anyone listening. As always, it is my pleasure to do this. It is a hobby. Um, I make no money from this, so it's just just for fun, and I thank everyone for being a part of it. Um, a lot has happened in the world of MMA since we last had a chat. And uh, without further ado, let's get right into it. Um, these fights in Russia were awesome in St. Petersburg. And I love whenever the UFC has a card like this where it's in the morning or like kind of in the early afternoon. It's usually one of those abroad cards because they usually do it live. Uh, it's just fun. It's just fun. I even like them on a Sunday. I don't mind. Uh, they've done them before with like the Belfast card or uh, I think there was like a New Zealand card um, in recent memory that was like that. And I think they should... Um, I don't know, not, obviously not do more of those because they, they, they want to do more shows in America for sure and make more profit that way, but God damn, it was fun. And I, I went 4-0 and on my picks, technically. Um, hopefully it would have been 5-0. and um, So at the time I recorded, um, and this, is, this was from UFC.com, by the way, Christoph Jocko was not listed on the main card. It was... Um, Instead, Roxanne versus Antonina Shevchenko was opening the card. Uh, and then in this one, they were the second fight, so they slid that uh, Jocko fight in before. And then, of course, um, I had um, Ivan Sturkov uh, beating Devin Clark, but that fight didn't happen because um, I think Ivan got sick, something like that. Um, no fault of Devin's anyway. Something was wrong with Ivan, whether it was illness or injury. I think it was illness. Uh, so wish him well, but, uh, of the ones that showed up of the ones that I, that were there, uh, I got them all right, baby. Yeah. And this is awesome. So just to recap, um, Christoph Jocko defeated Alan Amadovsky via unanimous decision. And I wanted to clarify, um, some tweets I had about that fight. Uh, so first off I was, I was watching them all on my phone and just sort of going back and forth between Twitter and, um, and uh, the ESPN Plus app. So I, 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 kind of, I maybe missed a little bit. Not really, I mean, I, I really tried to do it just like in between rounds and stuff. But um, either way, I was kind of like not focused really because I was more focused on the fighting than tweeting. Um, and I, I think I tweeted out like, Christoph lay and pray Jocko because it did look like he was just sort of just kind of holding him down for most of the fight. Um, and then he did something that, it kind of pissed me off, to quite frank. Um, in the last ten seconds of the fight, Christoph Jocko is on top, um, or he's in he's in his guard, he's in uh, Amadovsky's guard, and then they hear the clacker, and he just like stands up and uh, raises his arms like in victory, and just backs up, like he's not gonna take any chances for that last ten seconds. Like you can try to hit me, I'm not gonna engage. Just I won. That's it. And I thought that was kind of like. I don't know, poor sportsmanship. Just, I didn't really like it. It was like, it was like one of those things where like, you didn't, like to me, it felt like a, like a, I don't even know a proper comparison. I would say like a, like a football team beating another team and be like, by one point and being like, yeah, in your face, we fucking crushed you or something like that. Like, that's kind of what I felt. And there was a bunch of people on Twitter saying, oh, what do you want? He dominated. I mean, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, So, and then, and I, and I felt, and I felt bad too because first of all, he had an awesome windmill, uh, which is like a breakdancing move or whatever in the uh, post-fight interview, post-fight celebration. And uh, in his interview with Dan Hardy, I, th- I think he was on like a three-fight losing streak, and he said this was the last fight on his contract. So after after hearing that, I was like, okay, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Um, and I think, and I, and and this goes back to my my earlier tweets about it. Um, my initial feelings. Uh, re- regarding that, where I just I just remember his fight against David Branch, uh, where that was David Branch's um, 
second debut in the UFC. Like, you know, he was in the UFC years ago, then went to World Series of Fighting, and then he was back in the UFC. So his re, his re-debut for the second time around, um, David Branch was just sort of like holding him up against the fence and clinching and, and sort of making it a boring fight. And Christoph Jocko looked his like visibly annoyed in the fight. He was like rolling his eyes and like he kind of was defeated mentally from that. So it's like, well, why are you doing the same thing? So that that's just kind of where I was coming from from that. And obviously, and, and I tend to take this stance a lot, so I guess I should sort of fault myself for it because when it comes to, uh, I don't know, people criticizing fighters all the time, especially especially for a quote-unquote boring performance, I'm like, come on, you go in there and fucking try and trade blows with this guy. So I guess there's that, but I mean, hey, he... He does that, so and Christoph Jocko is normally more of a striker. I feel so that was just all kind of weird for me. But anyways, good good job to him. I, I really hope he gets an extension on his contract, get, gets gets to resign, and then we see more of him, and maybe more of the old Christoph. Next up, my girl Roxanne Modafferi beating Antonina Shevchenko via collusion. I'll say, because this was split decision and it should have been unanimous decision. I mean, how could you not score all, I mean, if if not two, two if not three of those rounds for Roxanne? I mean, there, it was she was a clear winner. I, I don't see how there, there's, a, there's a good enough case for, for Antonina winning. Um, honestly, uh, Roxanne controlled most of the fight. The Roxanne really surprised me on the feet. Um, I thought she was just eating uh, Shevchenko's punches like they were nothing. And I was sort of in a minority on Twitter of being like, hey, Roxanne's going to take this thing. There were a lot of people saying like, you know, I, th- I think you guys are high on the on her sister, Valentina, and thinking it's like sort of more the same. But I think Valentina's been competing in MMA a lot longer versus um, Antonina was stuck to Muay Thai for longer. And I, I, I really think... Valentina worked on her ground game more. I don't know about um, Antonina's past so much as Valentina's, but Valent- they've both been training martial arts since they were like three years old because their their mom is like a taekwondo black belt. And um, so I, I know that uh, Valentina had some M- MMA fights when she was like 16. Uh, and then it wasn't that popular in, in Russia and she couldn't get fights. So she went more Muay Thai and then focused on that for a while and then went back to MMA once it became popular and they had a lot of women in the UFC. So... She just had a, a longer storied history with MMA, whereas I feel Antonina did more Muay Thai. And, I mean, her stand-up looked great, obviously. But uh, Roxanne was hitting those knees uh, and firing right back. Uh, it was really beautiful to watch. I, I honestly, like, I wasn't ready for her to lose emotionally, you know, mentally. That's It's kind of like uh, my girl Ashley, MMA nerd. Um, I shouldn't say my girl, but whatever i fucking i listened to the podcast anyway uh she uh she she said she got a really emotional when max lost and the whole thing like that's how i get when roxy loses and and i'm like nervous the whole time but f- like for, for some reason for this one i wasn't nervous like maybe initially but once the bell rang and they they both came forward i was like okay all right we got something here and i really was like pretty confident um <laughs> side note we actually were running errands today, Kate and I, my fiance, and I was like in the mall, uh, getting stuff for our wedding, which is coming up in less than a month. And I'm like trying to switch over to the Wi-Fi, and my friggin' app just crashed halfway through the second round of this fight. I was like, no. So uh when I finally reconnected, it was in her post-fight interview. So I actually thought just based on the time, because I didn't know how far behind I was, I thought maybe she got a finish, and I was like, oh shit. Uh, I thought maybe she got a choke because it looked like she was, or, or maybe a TKO because she was landing some heavy elbows uh, for a while. But um, went back and rewatched afterward, and um, yeah, back to the whole collusion thing. They say, uh, you know, especially when when the UFC goes to Brazil a lot, they'll say like, oh, the if a Brazilian fighter is fighting a non-Brazilian uh, and it goes to decision, it's going to favor the Brazilian. Like the judges are going to be in their favor which isn't always true because the judges don't aren't always local. Uh, and, and oftentimes that's on purpose. The commission will, uh, or the UFC will bring judges specifically for, um, 
to, to not be biased. Uh, that said, when uh, judges are often influenced by uh, crowd reactions, and clearly, like the, even the, the commentators pointed out at one at one point. Uh, where um, Antonina was on top and they were just like, yeah, yeah. And then Roxy swept her and then oh, it just got quiet. Uh, so like sometimes if a shot doesn't like really kind of grazes, but the, the crowd goes nuts, sometimes the judges will think it had more of an impact. So that's kind of where the hometown advantage can really come in is really with the crowd. Um, however, in this case, when whenever there's a split decision, Bruce Buffer usually reads the names of the judges and it was like something like Mark, whatever, uh, scored it for 29-28, Roxanne. Maria Makotova, 29-28, Shevchenko. And Howard Hughes, something like that, 29-28, uh, Modafferi. So really, it was the Russian judge that gave it to Shevchenko. So I think there's extreme bias there. Um, they should make her answer for that in the back, but they're not going to because it's the commission, let's be fair. Um but I loved her post-fight uh, interview. They said, who's next for you? She goes, I want to fight Cyborg. <laughs> Kidding. I mean, that was awesome. Uh, which it's kind of, I think, kind of would be a missed opportunity uh, for her. She she just beat um, Antonina Shevchenko. She maybe could have called out the champ, Valentina. She's like, hey, I just beat your sister. Well, you want some? You want, you want to avenge this loss? Uh, that said... Um, if Roxanne fights Valentina, I would be scared. Uh, I don't think she's she's quite ready because, um, like I said, Roxy's biggest asset is her jiu-jitsu, and uh, Valentina's got pretty good jiu-jitsu and wrestling and dancing, which is that's a whole other thing. <laughs> um, but I would love to see Roxanne back in there quickly against against another top flyweight. Now, Sergey Pavlovich defeats Marcelo Gomes via KO. I believe in the first round it was pretty quick. That was uh it was a fun fight as long as it lasted. I mean the the big boys always throw down, we know that. Um I think my thoughts on this were pretty spot on, although it's it's hard to tell. I think really that uh Overeem loss um really motivated um Sergey especially with Overeem being the friggin' main event after beating him. Uh, and, you know, fighting in front of his hometown crowd. He really wanted to get his first UFC win. So um, either way, he won. So good for him. And um, should be an exciting uh, prospect at uh, heavyweight to follow. And we had Islam Makhachev defeating Arman Sarukian via unanimous decision. Now, this one, I did pick Islam, and I was right. But I kind of expected it to be pretty one-sided. And it was a lot more competitive than I thought. Hats off to Armin. Pretty good debut. Um, didn't get the, the Octagon Jitters didn't really get the best of him uh, so much as I thought they would. Because uh, he was expending a lot of energy trying to take Islam down. Succeeded a few times. And they had some good scrambles. Uh, and I was like, oh, fuck, he's going to be tired. But they lasted all three rounds. He didn't really look gassed. Um, obviously, Islam got the better of them i didn't see a lot of them really going for a lot of submissions but maybe they're just both so talented that it kind of nullified it a little bit but he was able to control them and land some good ground and pound um and then we had the ream closing it out defeating alexi olenic now i did pick over him and Twitter was kind of mixed on this one, but I felt like there was a good percentage of them. There was like a strong percentage of people saying, oh, you guys are counting Olenek out. Um, He's a beast. He's got good power. And that's true. But I just knew like from that interview, like I said, uh, well, first off, it was on short notice. Um, So he took this fight essentially like 18 days notice. And so Overeem had a full camp. That's obviously to his advantage. But I just think the the whole psychology of, of him not being able to tap Overeem in training really played into Overeem's confidence. And he was just hitting those knees all day. And and hats off to Olenek for, for pressing forward and, and going after it and not trying to play it safe. I mean, he really, like, 
press over him up against the can uh, up against the fence and um was winging like overhand rights just like crazy and Overeem was like covering up and at first i thought like <laughs> i almost said a joe rogan i was like oh he's hurt kind of but i was like wait a minute and then it looked like he was doing some sort of like rope-a-dope because like the second or third time that happened, uh, because they would do it a lot, they would sort of separate and then only would press him up against the cage and start winging shots. The second time it happened, or the third, I think it was like the third time, it looked like Overeem baited him into it. And I was like, oh, that sly motherfucker. I know what he's doing. And he he just, he threw some knees and there was one point where like Alexi was eating them but then he kind of slumped a little bit and i was like oh no and then one more landed right after that he hit the canvas covered up and um was a tko over him just kept pounding him to the rest stop um, so great night of fights i thought it was uh a really a really fun card overall um some fun ones on the prelims too um magomed mustafaev uh, beating was it not no um Zalim, i believe Zalim. yeah Re- really really fun stuff from those guys and just overall great great card great on fights i wasn't that active on twitter so i apologize um not that you care probably but whatever if you do sorry about it um like i said i was kind of multitasking mostly watching everything from my phone but i had tons of fun and i'm really looking forward to the next one And there are a lot of current events to cover, so let's get right into those. So Angela Magana was in a coma recently, and I put this in here. I mean, obviously, it's a a pretty relevant story in the world of MMA, but I felt really bad after last week. Um, I talked about her kind of starting some shit with um, Kira Batara and Whole Foods and looking to, I thought she was maybe looking to get out of that fight, but uh, man, it's, it's really, it's really like stuff like that is no joke. And there are a couple of people that say it's a little fugazi. I think it's just poorly reported because not a lot of the major outlets want to cover it. And like you have the coach or a friend like manning her Twitter, just like putting out updates, and it, it kind of sucks because she knows they, they they know she wants to be relevant and they know people want an update, and so they're just like putting all this information. And when you're in the hospital, you sometimes get little updates and little updates, and then they think they know one thing, and then turns out another thing. So I think with all the different updates, people are like, oh, well that contradicts this, and it's all weird. So it's just. I, I think there's there's nothing sort of like weird about it. It it's just a bad situation, you know. And it sucks because I guess her family has a history of um, allergic reaction to anesthesia, and that's what happened. She had to have uh, major surgery, and they put her under. And um, in the middle of it, she had a reaction to the anesthesia and developed some some crazy condition, which put her in a coma. So she's now awake and responsive. Wish her all the best. Um, Definitely hope she she gets back in there. Apparently, she's still trying to um, be on the Olympic team for wrestling in Puerto Rico or representing Puerto Rico. I hope that happens. Good for her. Now, next thing up I want to talk about is um, Burt Watson is starting an MMA promotion called We Rollin' MMA. And that is spelled R-O- L L L N N N M M A. Just some, just a quick um, statement from Bert on it in this like press release I was reading. It says um, every fighter started somewhere and every champion was once a prospect. My goal with Bert Watson Promotions is to introduce these future superstars to the public, and with my years of experience, show them what it takes to compete on the highest level of the sport. Um, for the inaugural event on Saturday, June fifteenth at Hard Rock Event Center in Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino Hollywood. Burt Watson Promotions, uh, We Roll in MMA, will present MMA Live, a night of mixed martial arts action that will feature top regional talent in competitive, action-packed bouts. 
So uh, I have kind of a weird interest in this. I, I want to see what it goes. It might be another one of those golden boy promotions type of thing. I don't think so though. Bert has had a long history and I mean, he, I guess he worked with Joe Frazier in the past in boxing, but then he, he worked for the UFC as a while, while for, as a site coordinator. Um, got a kind of an interesting story. Chael told it on his podcast a long time ago, about I guess he was once like, uh, he would like drive fighters to, around to the venues he was kind of a driver for the ufc and then when it was like there was downtime he wanted to be more active he was still getting paid so he's like well i want to do more stuff and i guess he would like ask the fighter their weight and he would make them get on a scale and and do this whole thing and and check do checkups on him during fight week so um just kind of cool of him to to do that And, and then um this came out a couple couple years ago. I think he, he was suffering from, I want to say, prostate cancer. And it looks like he beat it. Um, so uh, that's something obviously very near and dear to my heart. And um, I wish Bert all the best. And I wanted to play this quick clip uh, because... I guess the reason why for the I was like, we rolling MMA? Come on, that's, that's sort of weird. Like, but especially the spelling, right? But... It's apparently his thing. Uh, I found this whole clip from uh, an interview he did on the MMA Hour. I just want to play it for you guys real quick. That was my night, my fight. You better get it right. And I'll tell you one more time, baby. It's time to go to work. It's time to go to work. And you know what that means when it's time to go to work? We roll night long <laughs> I just love how it ends it's like about five six seconds of like we rolling he holds it out and then like yeah all night long so I love that guy um, and, and I've seen a lot of the fighters like quote him on Twitter and stuff and tag him I guess he's he was known for like giving them like little inspirational pep talks and stuff like that so um, anyone that's pro fighter starting an MMA promotion I'm all about so I wish I wish them well, and uh, might even do an episode on if that's like an off week in MMA. Who knows? Now, next up is Molly McCann versus Ariane Lipsky. I guess this is not one hundred percent confirmed, but Molly McCann retweeted some of the reports, so clearly she's interested, or or maybe she's even signed the bout agreement. Um, so, but at the moment, I don't think it's one hundred percent confirmed, but. I don't think any, any of these ladies are known for turning down fights. I mean, Ariane Lipsky is literally nicknamed the Violence Queen. Um, she just had her debut against uh, JoJo. Didn't go her way, but, uh, I mean, JoJo's no joke. She, she's no JoJoke. <laughs> That's a terrible pun. But Molly McCann, you guys know I love her. Um, really big fan of her. Um, I actually want to see her get a shot at Valentina one day. She she gave this really awesome interview Um before she got signed to the UFC, or I think it was like when she got signed, but didn't make her debut yet, um, on Ariel's show. And she was like, we're both from like a real dirty place. Like Polish is like a real dirty place, right? Like Liverpool's just, we're, we're like, we're tough. And, uh, um, it was a weird way of saying it, but I was like, okay, I'm into that. I want to see that fight one day. Um, it was a little bit like, you know, let's pump the brakes on it when she made her debut and, and got choked out. Uh, but that last fight, man, I'm, I'm back. Not that I was ever off the train. I was obviously, I, I wanted her to win. I was sad she lost, but, uh, fucking always want to root for Molly McCann. And I guess that's in the works for UFC Greenville, South Carolina, June 22nd. All right. We got to talk about Robert Whitaker versus Israel Adesanya. We know that's fight. We know that's the fight they want. I, like I said, with with the with the two interim title fights that just happened, you're supposed to fight the champion, but that doesn't always happen. But with those ones, it's pretty clear that's what's going to happen with the landscape of the division. And everything like none of the like champions are are going to go anywhere. And I think, uh, at, like if you were to say, okay, maybe one of them doesn't happen, it's probably like maybe Poirier doesn't fight Khabib right away. But I would say definitely Israel's going to fight um, Robert Whitaker. Like that's. Good, that would be the biggest fight in Australasian MMA. Um, just just sell out a friggin' 80,000-seat 80, 80, stadium 
there's there's no way they're not making that fight and uh robert whitaker normally like i like i like his his um his fighting style obviously and his interviews are not the most entertaining but he's real and he talks about his family and so it's like oh it's like whatever but sometimes they're like kind of boring but this last interview dude he did with uh, ariel hawani was amazing and if you listen to the whole show ariel like felt bad about the time difference he, he always tells them like what time they have to come on like their local time and he did the math wrong because of like daylight savings time or whatever and he told robert to come on at 7 a.m and it was actually 6 a.m so when it came time to call him he was like oh no oh no i'm gonna wake him up we can't do this and he got all like jewish guilt on air and it was so funny but then so they were worried about waking him up but robert just came on and he was like yeah whatever and he gave the most fire interview he has ever given in his entire life saying uh, oh i don't think he's good as he thinks he is talking about israel adesanya and um just their potential matchup um really 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 good stuff out of him so i just wanted to kind of highlight that as if you haven't seen that interview heard it go look that up on youtube or where you know you can listen to the podcast for Ariel show it's uh really good stuff So that's it for for most of the current events, I'll say, although I wanted to, um, I guess we have a few more, but um, before we get into those, I wanted to kind of give some, just some Twitter uh, shout outs. Uh, this Just just some people that made me laugh or, or the, that sort of like little moments that made my week. Um, there's this one account, um, I think Shayna, I think it's at Bullet Valentina. And obviously she's a big Valentina Shevchenko fan. And like every other tweet is saying like how much she wants to fuck Valentina Shevchenko. And it's hilarious. And people take it so seriously. Like there was these, there's these, like you can clearly, after reading a few of them, you're like, all right, she's kind of mocking the whole like alpha male culture of like, yeah, I want to fuck that girl. What you like, you know what I mean? Like it's definitely not 100% serious. Uh, so she posted this one that was like, apparently, um, a bunch of people tweeted other celebrities, the same exact like verbatim, this paragraph of like, I want to fucking choke on your cum or something like that. Like really, really dirty. Right. And there's other dudes like, this is a double standard. Uh, imagine if a guy said this and it's like, yeah, yeah, that would be terrible. And that's why she can say it like, dude, come on. Doesn't even make sense. So like, like between her like trolling these dudes and um and talking about Valentina it makes me laugh like all the time so uh if you guys don't follow her uh, follow follow her and I uh, wanted to give another shout out to um I think they I think it's have your say MMA um it's at british underscore strong now I have two twitter accounts obviously the one for this podcast fwm underscore pod and that's where most of you heard about this podcast I thank you, and I will continue to tweet about the fights. But my other account uh, is my personal Twitter, at Aaron S. Jackson. I tried to keep those separate. Uh, for years, I was kind of just tweeting everything out of that account, and then it started to get a little bit weird, and, and I wanted to do this podcast, so I just had to separate like everything I made over there. And so I had this, my pinned tweet on that account is um, a tweet that I uh, put out one day um, just asking for, like I was in a really bad mood. And so I said, you know, this is me asking for pictures of your pets um it'll cheer me up i love i love animals and um it's kind of like a cliche internet thing you know like oh show me your animals and we'll we'll talk about them or whatever and so that account british strong uh replied to that tweet saying do you follow back mma accounts and on the fighting with myself uh account i do uh and that's how this whole thing started and i, and I will keep doing that um unless you're a Nazi, because um, that's happened a couple times, and that's not okay. But uh, other than that, I'll definitely follow. And um, he, since he replied to that tweet and, and sort of ignored the context of it, like he could have tweeted me separately or whatever, you know, but I feel like he replied to that tweet, and I was like, nah, I don't know, man. And um, his response was was just honest and awesome. He said, no, it's okay. Um, you're right. That that, that was um, not my thing. I wouldn't expect it, but here's my cat. And then he was literally the only the only person to to do it on that tweet. And so I was like, man, I gotta follow that guy. That's fucking awesome. Actually, it could be a girl. Who knows? Hmm. The plot thickens. Anyway, 
shout out that person, British Strong, loving the account. Um, also wanted to shout out um, ZYM015, OG listener of this podcast and my other podcast. Um, I put out a tweet asking for, you know, just anything I, if anything you want to talk about that I didn't cover, like sort of midweek, just to see if anyone is like wondering if I'm going to talk about something. And he had a good, um, good suggestion to do kind of like a rule of the week, little mini segment. So I wanted to do that because, you know, I was sort of going off about the rules last week, um, certain rules about, you know, George Allen deducting the points for the fence, fence grabbing and not enough refs do that. And so I wanted to, to really quick talk about a rule that I think is dumb and that is the 12 to 6 elbow rule. It's, it's, it's called a downward pointing elbow strike. And let me just read you the rule from the, um, from the unified rules. It says the use of a linear, quote, straight up, straight down elbow strike is prohibited. Any variation of this straight up and down linear elbow strike makes a strike legal. Any arc or any angle change from straight up to straight down makes a strike legal. Any variation of position does not alter the legality of the strike. In other words, like it's normally something you would do in ground and pound, but if you if you do do it from standing or uh, I don't know, even from the bottom, probably, uh, like that doesn't change the fact. But that whole that sentence saying any variation of this straight up and down linear elbow strike makes a strike legal, any arc or any angle change proves that the rule is bullshit. Because how can you tell me that straight up and down is going to do more damage and damage that should be rendered legal opposed to an elbow with a slight arc from, from that sort of same downward angle? So come on. I just think it's, it's really outdated and they need to look at it. But it goes back to what I said last week about um, the rules being run by the commission which is a government body and the government does not like to admit they're wrong. So, so that's something that should change. I mean, I've heard Joe Rogan talk about this on his podcast a lot, not a lot, but well, maybe ad nauseum, but, uh, he, he said that I, I guess he had John McCarthy on. It was saying that when the rules are being developed in 2000, it was like him, Mike Mazzulli, who's, uh, and I'm like, well, I think Mike Mazzulli was there, but, uh, Mark Ratner, um, a bunch of other like doctors and stuff were there. And at that time there were a bunch of like videos online of people doing karate, breaking bricks and doing it that way with the downward elbow. And so they're like, Oh no, we can't have that. But yet we can have a friggin' spinning wheel kick from Edson Barboza to the temple. That's legal. Come on. Don't tell me that a downward elbow does more damage than that. So there's my rule of the week. Change it. Um, also want to shout out my beautiful fiance. Um, give, got, give her a follow, guys. Her uh, handle is Kate, that's C-A-I-T underscore the cursed, um, which is actually a reference to my favorite uh, Shakespeare play, but also she had that way before we met, so I was just like, eh, it's perfect. Um, she said talk, she, she wanted me to talk about her opinions on fighting and talk about epic or shitty ref calls. And... She didn't even really tell me what her opinions of fighting are, like specifically what she wanted me to say, but I know she's a big fan of Thug Rose, uh, Rose Nama Yunus, and uh, we're both excited for that fight. I'm definitely looking forward to, to seeing her fight against Jessica Andrade, I'm, even though I'm, I'm still going to do the breakdown for that fight in a couple episodes whenever it uh, airs, uh, but I'm picking Rose. I'm just telling you right now, I'm picking Rose. It's going to be Jessica Andrade, I hope. Listen, I know Jessica's a beast. Sort of goes back to the whole reason why I picked Roxanne. Pick with my heart. You know what I mean? I love Rose. And, um, I mean, Jessica Andrade is awesome, but I'm still going to pick Rose. Uh, and as far as um, epic and um, shitty ref calls, I already talked about, so far, my, my, my new favorite ref call anyway, when, when George Allen deducted the points for fence grabbing. That was amazing. Uh, we need him. I want him refing everywhere. Uh, so yeah, but, uh, 
Oh, she also, speaking of refs, um, she also freaking loves Herb Dean. Whenever Herb Dean is the ref, she's like, Herb, Herb Dean. Um, but uh, a shitty rev call that I can recall recently where I was just like, oh my goodness, was, I'll, I'll, I'll give two, because um, I think it was both Dan Mergliata and I don't want to shit on him because he's one of the better refs. Um, definitely, there's there's other refs still working and refs who don't no longer work. They're obviously way worse. You know, Mario Yamasaki, uh, Chris Tyone's bad. Kim Wilson was never any good. Friggin' Steve, uh, whatever the guy that disqualified uh, Mazagati, Mazagati, Steve Mazagati, the guy that disqualified John Jones for those twelve to six elbows. Um, but uh, it was a late stoppage on on two counts. It was of, or two different fights. Late stoppage on the Jacques Ray Chris Weidman fight. Like Chris was out and. They weren't, he wasn't stopping the fight. And Jacques Ray even like stopped and like looked at him like, Hey, come on. So, so that was just sort of like a little hard to watch. And then the other one was, uh, Josh Emmett versus Jeremy Stevens, Jeremy Stevens ending, landing some nasty elbows to the back of the head. And, uh, that should have been a DQ. I think the way, the way it played or at least a no contest, um, just not, just not, um, not the best. But you make the best you can in the moment. And Dan actually lives in uh, Atlantic Highlands near me, so hope it doesn't come for me. Love you, Dan. Um, but that was just my quick thought on that. A couple other uh, cr- uh, current events I wanted to talk about are just sort of recapping of last week um, after the fights and after I recorded last episode, that video surfaced of mini blessed, you know, rush Holloway, Max's son crying after his dad's loss. And I put up this whole tweet because there was a lot of people saying like, Oh no, I can't. This is, this is hard to watch. And it is, it, it was a very sad video, but I tried to take a silver lining from it because you have a go- guy now mini blessed has become a character in the mma world he's got his own instagram obviously run by max but um you know people love him he's part of the open workouts like he brings him around and and when you've made that choice to to bring him around you're accepting the risk that you might lose and 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 it might be in you know with like a quick submission loss or a knockout or a brutal war like max went through and um when the the scorecards were red, and um, it went Dustin's way, Rush was was so sad, and like Shaq was trying to comfort him, and that was probably scary for this like seven foot four, big ass dude trying to be like it's okay. Like his hand was bigger than Rush's face, like twice the size. He's like it's okay, little buddy, and um, Rush was still crying. But Dustin tried to comfort him backstage. It, it, I thought it was it had some upside to it. And I was I was trying to make a point that you know all kids think their dad is invincible, or most do, and and that's a good thing. But um, there comes a time when when that's not the case. And I thought it was somewhat of a learning experience for him. Um, a couple of people pushed back on Twitter about this, so I just kind of wanted to to say my thoughts on it because I wasn't trying to say like it's good that he thinks his dad's not in, invincible. And and I hope, listen, I hope Max goes on another thirteen fight streak or maybe more, it goes back to featherweight and just kills that division. Would love to see him in Zabit. Would love to see him in Volkanovski. Frankie Edgar, fuck. I mean, there's so many good fights from a featherweight. Uh, even even the Conor rematch. Um, would love to see all of those. And so I just think, like, they're going to build each other up because of this, like, Rush seeing Max lose, ultimately, um, whether he knows it now or, or not, I think it's going to be good for his development as a human. Like, I think they're experiencing that together. And, you know, I hope they become... I was trying to make this point earlier, like um, Michelle Waterson after she lost to Rose, you know, her daughter was like, it's okay, mom, you'll be back. And like really comforted her. And I think that 
ultimately rush is, is going to be that way. If Like I said, I hope Max never loses again, really, because I love Max. But that's that's the kind of thing that I, th- I think will strengthen them. And, and, it, it, and I didn't mean about learning about your dad not being invincible. I meant more so along the lines of just life lessons, like things don't always go your way type of thing. Because up till now, he's only been viewing the fights with his dad just like crushing it and just being like, yeah, life is great. We always win. Um, so, you know, just one of those, those life lessons about losses in general, um, especially in fighting. So obviously I don't want to wish that I love mini blast and I love max. Now moving on from that, this next one is just kind of weird. I, I don't know if anyone saw this, but Dan Ige, who is, um, a UFC featherweight, he's had a couple wins um, recently made his debut, like over the last a couple of years. And, um, he's also known for being, working with Ali at Dominance MMA. Like he's, he's also an agent with some of the fighters, which, which I think is a pretty, pretty bad conflict of interest in my opinion. But if they allow it, then Hey, more power to him. Cause Dan seems like a really nice guy. Although I think you all know how I feel about Ali. This is a piece of shit, but Dan Ige apparently had some people show up to his house at 6 a.m. to draw blood. And so he assumed it was USADA and he gave him all this blood. He said they got about like like six vials or something or whatever. And I think maybe some piss. And it turns out it was someone people going to drug test someone else and they went to the wrong house. And he was pissed off. <laughs> and I was like, you have only to be mad at yourself. I mean... That just sucks. I mean, it sucks, the whole situation, but come on. I guess I have no further thoughts about it on that. I thought I, I thought I had this whole thing to say because obviously I talked about um, the fighters not having a USA and USADA being implemented, and it sucks that they fucking have to make their whereabouts on this app like 24-7 and the fucking and USADA shows up at like 6 a.m. or, or worse. And, uh, but... But come on, they have to produce some sort of idea or something. There has to be some sort of better system with that. Dan Ige. Ah, oh, that was that was just a that was just a dull moment. But I guess moving on from that, Leslie Smith just signed with Bellator at featherweight. Now this was really interesting to me and long overdue in my opinion. I think I said this when um, Josh Barnett signed with Bellator. Like as soon as he got cut from the UFC or you know he asked for a release and it was granted. I expected him to sign with Bellator pretty quickly. And Josh Barnett is known to take his time and he's got other endeavors and stuff. But I was like, what's what's going on? Same thing with Leslie Smith. I know she's got the Project Smith, or it's Project Smith, well, might as well be, but the Project Spearhead thing going on, um, which I'm, I'm a firm believer in. And when, when she got cuffed in the UFC as a bantamweight, I expected her to sign with Bellator pretty quickly as well. And... That was delayed. That was like um, she was supposed to fight Aspen Ladd, I believe, in Atlantic City in April of last year. So, so we're we're going on a year. It's it was almost exactly a year, and nothing, like no no whispers of anything in in the meantime. Didn't say she was talking to any other organizations. And then she signs with Bellator, and I was like, oh cool. Maybe she'll maybe she'll um, make a nice run for the bantamweight title, but then it was like, no, it's at featherweight, and so I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. Maybe they'll try and get her a, a shot at Julia Budd. And she, had, I don't know if she's fought at featherweight in her career. She of course fought Cyborg, but if you remember, that was um, Cyborg's UFC debut, and they were trying to make her cut down to 140 for these weird catchweight fights, and that's really when Leslie Smith popped up on my radar because she was like. The, really the only person to say I want that fight. And I thought that was awesome. Just to be saying, I'm not afraid. I'll, I'll take that fight. And then her next fight, uh, I don't know if it was right after, I think it was, she fought Irene Aldana. And they rightly won fight of the night, I believe. I mean, they just went at it. It was a banger of a fight. It was a war. And I, I thought this in the comment, well, like, I kind of had the same thought at the same time as the commentators. They were just saying like, it's looking like Leslie Smith in fighting cyborg she said well i should just fight like that and, and that's because she was just pressing forward she looked like she was just trying to 
put it on Irene Aldana, and I thought that was awesome. So um, because of that, I'll always be a Leslie Smith fan and her whole thing with Project Spearhead. So I'm really excited for to see her in Bellator. I think Bellator is good for someone like her who has individuality, who cares about fighters' rights, wants to get more sponsors. I mean, she was on um, Full Frontal with Samantha B talking about the whole fighters' rights issue and Project Spearhead. So she's got a lot of media push behind this. And uh, Bellator should look to capitalize on that because cause they're one of the biggest proponents that they're like, yeah, we, we don't sponsor tax. We give you sponsors of the cage, like whatever. Um, Scott Coker known to be very good with his um, with his fighters. And to segue into that, I wanted to just talk about the Bellator 220 coming up this um, next Saturday, I believe. And they're going head-to-head with the UFC, which doesn't happen often. And usually, like usually, Bellator will be on like on a Friday if it's the same weekend when when the UFC is on a Saturday. But when they do, I feel like they bring a banger of a card, and the main card for two twenty looks really good. So I wanted to give just just sort of quick predictions. I'm not, um, I didn't want to put it on the prediction segment because I'm not like soup. First of all, I'm not going to like want to have like a going to bat with the UFC in that regard. Like, oh, I was four and three in the UFC and two and one in Bellator or whatever. Um, but I just wanted to kind of put it out there. Um, just talk about some of the fights. Just going from top to bottom, uh, we have Roy McDonald taking on John Fitch in the main event. It's part of that Walter Waite tournament, uh, which is weird that, that the champion's in the tournament, but his belt's on the line. So that's good. And that's why I guess all the other fights um, in the Walter Waite tournament are five rounds because since – Whenever the champ fights his belts on the line, they all have to have the same atmosphere. So they're they're all fighting in five round fights, and uh, I think Roy is going to get it done against John Fitch. John Fitch is really kind of a one trick pony, and uh, he just sort of wrestles. And uh, his last fight against Paul Daly did not impress me. And I, the only impressive part was Paul Daly. Uh, if you guys haven't seen that fight, go look it up, um, or even just the last round. Um, John Fitch is just fitching uh, Paul Daly, just has him tied up against the fence and is landing like little rabbit punches to the face. And uh, Paul Daly is like, brilliant performance, Bellator. You're going to get billions of fans with this one. Billions! <laughs> As he's getting punched in the face by John Fitch. And he's booing. He's like, boo! As the fans are booing, he's just like booing along with them. It's one of the best pieces of theater I've seen in a, in a fight. Just for him to be like, oh, boo! So, yeah. I really hope that. <laughs> oh, we got a, got a tangent about Paul Daly, but I think Rory's going to beat John Fitch. Um, I'm a little aware John Fitch could turn it into a similar fight, but Rory can wrestle, dude. And even in the the Douglas Lima fight, there was a lot of clinch work and and up against the cage wrestling. And I thought uh, Rory got the better of those exchanges, not all of them, but enough to win the fight. And um, and I think yeah, it's just a lot more tools than John Fitch. And then we got Alimale McFarlane um, taking on Vera Arteaga. Now I don't know the exact story with this because I thought she was taking on uh, Valerie Letourneau. Um, unless that already happened and I missed it, um, I don't follow Bellator as closely as I should. So, oh, that's right. She, she fought her in Hawaii and she beat her. Um, I'm an idiot. No, I do remember that fight because she invited her to the luau and it was cool. So yeah, I'm a fucking idiot, but she's, she's taking on Vera Arteaga and without, like I said, I didn't want to put this because I didn't do too much research on it without knowing, um, Vera's skill set at all, really. Um, I'm going to pick Alima. Um, I heard her in an interview with um, Chael recently on his podcast saying that um, when she fought um, the Bellator kickboxing champion at that weight, um, the, the kickboxer was just landing a bunch of shots and Vera was just taking them and pressing forward. And she said the toughness really isn't going to work on her. Like she's not going to really play that game. And Alima really kind of leans on her, her grappling and her jujitsu. Uh, she's got 10 planet San Diego and, um, I love um, when Hawaiians fight, and I also um, love when anyone from San Diego fights because I love love San Diego. My dad was born there, and it's an awesome city. 
also fighting out of uh, San Diego, not the same camp, but Alliance MMA, uh, Phil Davis is taking on Liam McGeary in a rematch. And I think from their first fight, I didn't see anything that really makes me think like Liam could, could do any differently in, in the second fight. So I'm just going to pick Phil. Um, I think he beats anyone not named Ryan Bader in that division. Uh, Benson Henderson taking on Adam Piccolotti. Uh, this is another one. I don't know much about Adam Piccolotti. I feel like I watched his last fight. Um, I want to say he fought Zach Freeman, but, uh, I'm going to pick Benson Henderson. I just think, um, at lightweight Benson is, is, is a, is a threat in that division. Not when he fights at welterweight. He's had some wins, but in, in Bell, he doesn't really seem to get it done at welterweight. He's more of a lightweight. Um, he had a good fight against Sada Wad um, last, his last outing. So looking to get it done. Benson Smooth Henderson. All right, that, that's going to wrap up that segment as I'm rambling here. And then um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the um, predictions for UFC Fort Lauderdale. All right, so let's get into these predictions for uh, UFC Fort Lauderdale taking place um, April 27th, this next uh, Saturday. And um, right off the bat, opening up the main card, we got um, Roosevelt Roberts taking on Thomas Gifford. Um, Gifford's making his UFC debut. Um, Roosevelt Roberts um, fought some guy named Garrett Gross on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series back in July of last year, earned a contract, and then he fought Daryl Horcher and submitted him. Submitted him in the first round. And looking deeper into his record, he's got, I mean, he's only 7-0, but he's got a lot of finishes, like all finishes. Submission, TKO, a lot of guillotines. He's got three guillotines and a rear naked choke and then three um, TKOs. Most of them in the first, he's never been to the third round, even even to get a finish. He's never been to the decision. Um, yeah, not even in his amateur record. But uh, Thomas Gifford has been fighting a lot longer. He's got more experience. He's 14 and 7. Although I saw on Topology, it was like, set, I'm on Dog right now. On Topology, it was saying 17 and 7. So I'm not sure which is right. Um Obviously, you think maybe the more fights is the more accurate, but some of those could be not like count. So you never know. That said, um, looking into some of Thomas's losses, I mean, he's got some submission wins of his own, but he's lost um, via via submission a few times. And I just think Roosevelt's going to capitalize on that. Uh, he's taller. Um, I think he's like six two, and he's got the contender series and one UFC fight on his belt. So I think that's going to play a factor. Again, I could be wrong. Um, I saw the Daryl Horcher fight uh, for, for Roosevelt Roberts, but I didn't see the one in the Contender Series or any other. And I obviously have not seen the other guy fight. So who knows, really? Just sort of put it down there. And um, next up, we got John Lineker fighting Corey Sandhagen. And I'm picking John Lineker, and let me tell you why. I'll, I'll just about always pick John Lineker because he's fucking crazy hand of stone lineker one of the only people to really get knockouts at flyweight um he's just nuts and he can find that liver shot all day um he just goes in crazy he's got a huge forehead i remember when he fought tj dillashaw um tj was on top getting elbows um like kind of ground and pound and john lineker was headbutting tj's elbow i mean come on if that fight goes like more rounds, I mean, now we might know if TJ was on EPO, but um, if he wasn't, uh, I'd say w- w- Lineker could have got a finish late in the round for just being so damn tough. But he's fighting Corey Sanhagen, who's a good fighter, um, and he's tall for Benway. I think he's like 5'10. Um, John, and John Lineker um, used to fight at flyweight, um, but he missed weight a couple times and then they made him bump back up. So obviously there's a, there's going to be a size disparity there, but uh, I'm picking John Lineker. I think he's going to be right level with that liver shot and I think he's going to find it all day. Um, so that, that should be a war. All right. Now we got Glover Teixeira taking on Iwan Kutalaba. And I'm a fan of that guy, 
Kutalaba. Um, it sounds like a like a Portuguese name, but he's actually Russian. It's like Kutalaba. I don't know. But uh, they were scheduled to fight, I guess, this past January. And Glover Teixeira, uh, Jan pulled out because of injury. And Glover Teixeira took on Carl Roberson on short notice. I think it was like just a couple weeks. And uh, Glover Teixeira was kind of rocked in that fight. But he weathered the storm and just willed uh, arm triangle into existence. Like he just took the guy down and just strangled him, got an arm triangle choke. And that could very well happen. Listen, I I think I could be wrong on this one. I'm not quite certain, but I'm going to pick um, Eon because I think he's just been preparing for Glover longer because Glover obviously had to shift his focus to the other guy, Carl Robertson. And Eon is a crazy motherfucker. If you've ever seen him fight, he just he just goes in and not like crazy brawling where it's just like winging like it's 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 technical it's crisp but it's also like i don't mind getting hit i'll take one to give one and i think that those kind of exchanges favor him over over glover because glover um it's been finding a long time man and that chin is starting to starting to go it's not not quite the chuck liddell status where i just get touched and he crumples but i like i said obviously he um he weathered the storm against carl but i think i think and Eon's got good good wrestling, good uh, good cardio, so that could favor him later into the fight. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Eon. He's also got the whole Hulk gimmick, like he usually had the in the walkouts. He'll come out with like a Hulk, uh, paint, like face paint and stuff, which is cool. I just love that guy. All right, um, and the MMA gods have decided to give us Alex Cowboy Oliveira versus Mike Perry, and holy shit. That whole uh, that whole clip that people like to tweet out about um, Mike Perry saying like, "This is real shit. One of us might die." Like going back and forth. <laughs> I think that definitely applies here. Uh, I think none of these guys are going to uh, probably go for a takedown. If they do, it'll be Cowboy um, for sure because he's got the he's got good jujitsu. Um, but I really don't see that happening. I, th- I think they're just going to stand and bang. And um, Mike Perry's a savage. He's really hard to put away. But um, Alex Oliveira, I think I think he's a little more technical than Mike Perry. And I think he'll find an opening. He might even lull him into that kind of fight and go for a takedown, get, a, get like a rear naked choke, as I was saying before. So, yeah. Um, I'm going to pick Cowboy. And, and I... I a lot of these I've been going back and forth on. Like I was like, ah, oh, Mike Perry. Like I love Mike Perry um, as far as his fighting style. <laughs> Some of his interviews are weird, and he had that whole thing on Twitter where for a while where he was like, well, I'm two percent black, I can say the n word, and no, you can't, sir. That was not cool. But uh, other than that, I'm a Mike Perry fan. Um, but I'm gonna pick Alex. I'm gonna pick Alex. Final. That's final. Alex Oliveira. Now the co-main event for this fight. Is Greg Hardy versus Dmitry Smolyakov, and this one is like for me. If you don't know what a piece of shit Greg Hardy is, Google Greg Hardy piece of shit. No, just Google Greg Hardy. Fucking well, probably just Google his names. I bet all the articles about him are bad. But uh, you can Google Greg Hardy domestic violence uh, allegations, and people will say like, "Oh, he was um, he was acquitted or whatever." But that was because the freaking the his his girl didn't show up because she was terrified. And originally she did. He originally he was convicted, but he got it overturned because of the whole weird thing in North Carolina. So th- there's a lot of shady things going on with that, and I just don't want to support Greg Hardy at all. Um, even though this is like the second or third time I've talked about him on this podcast, but, um, I'm not going to make a pick for this fight because really I want to pick the other guy just to spite him, but he's 0-2 in the UFC and got cut and they're just bringing him back as sort of like a, just like food for Greg Hardy to to pad his record. And so I think I think it's a good fight for Greg Hardy to win, but I don't want to pick him. So I'm not making a pick. Fuck Greg Hardy. So I don't care who wins in that fight. Honestly, I'm picking both, whatever. Fuck it. A little fired up there. I apologize. It is what it is. All right, now we get to the main event. And this is another one I went back and forth on for a while. It's uh, Jacques Array versus Jack Hermanson. 
Um, I think we talked about this last week, how we got the call up. And I thought about a couple things. I thought about um, the fact that it's on short notice could favor Jacare because he's obviously had a full training camp. Uh, but then sometimes that messes with your mind. You know, you're preparing for one opponent, then you got to shift. So in a sense, he's also taking this opponent on short notice because he hasn't had the full time to prepare for that specific type. Uh, it's obviously a di- very different style than um, Yul Romero. But he still has more preparation in general. Now, the other thing that I was saying to kind of go against that is I was listening to an interview several months ago when uh, Sean O'Connell won the PFL. And that was a cool moment. And he was on Ariel Hawani's show talking about the whole experience. And his coach is um, Jeremy Horn, who's one of the OGs in the fight game, like was on the like one of the original UFCs. Um, he fought Chel Sonnen. Um, and he's had like a hundred plus fights. I think he might still be fighting because he's crazy. Um, he he just so he he was in the game back in those early days when when there was a lot of like tournaments and you would fight in the same night. And that's what they did in the PFL for the finale. And he was talking about Sean O'Connell was saying how he was talking to his coach about it. And Jeremy's like, Oh yeah, you're going to love it because when you win, when you get a nice win, what you feel like you're unbeatable and you want to, you want to get right back in there. So you get an opportunity to do that and you get to parlay into like a back to back win. And I was like, huh, that's kind of cool. So that, that got me to thinking like Jack Hermanson his fight was like what 50 seconds like it was a really quick submission and he didn't take pretty any damage so he's fresh and he just had a full training camp himself for that fight so i almost picked him because well he's got that confidence um but and the other thing i was thinking about too is that how the story of jacare's career has been like all right i'm on a uh, i'm on a title run i'm on a title run and then oh no uh, I got lost or whatever. It's like he was, he was supposed to get the shot against um, Luke Rockhold, but they, uh, but they gave it to Michael Bisping instead because Jacare said, no, uh, I think he was injured, this whole thing. And he should have got the, the fight, the shot before that, but they gave it to Chris Wyman for a rematch. The rematch to do good business. So I just like, man, this is even the story of Jacare's career. So I kind of feel like that that's a bad omen for him, but I don't want to put those vibes out there. I want to say Jacare can get it done because before it's all said and done, I want Jacare to fight for the title. And I was listening to his interview with Ariel Hawani, uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago. He was saying, um, he pretty much told his management in the UFC, like, if I don't um if I don't get a title shot after I win this fight, like like if I win and I don't get a title shot, I'm I'm basically gonna retire. And there's there's a whole school of thought that says once you talk about retirement, you're already kind of one foot out and and you shouldn't be fighting then because then you're you might lose. But at some point you gotta know when to call it quits. And I think he's just being smart about it and just saying, Look, I've had all these opportunities and if I'm not gonna get one, I'm just gonna teach jujitsu and be happy. And I think He's not he's not putting it out there as like a, sort of an ultimatum for himself. I think he's putting it out there as like motivation. Like I really think he can get it done and that uh, he possesses all the tools to to beat this guy up. So I hope I hope really hope Jacare gets it done. He's obviously more um skilled in jiu-jitsu than David Branch, even though they're both black belts. I think Jacare's is just a higher level black belt. And Jacare's got heavy hands, dude. Obviously he showed that against Chris Wyman. So um Jacare I'm going to pick him. So just a quick rundown. Um, picking uh, Roosevelt Roberts. We're picking John Lineker. We're picking Iwan Kutalaba. We're picking Alex Oliveira. Fuck Greg Hardy. And we're picking Jacare. So thanks thanks for your patience with this episode. I really appreciate anyone who listens. It really means a lot to me. And share this podcast with your friends if you like it. If you don't, Obviously don't, you know, but, um, if you're on Apple podcast, give me, give me a five-star ranking, give me a review, give me something. If I, if I get enough, uh, reviews, if there are any reviews, I might do some, uh, some giveaways. I think that'd be fun. Um, obviously I'll give you a shout out, but, uh, if you have any questions, 
You can hit me up on Twitter at FWM underscore pod. Um, if you have any, uh, or if you want to email it, you can email it to fightingwithmyselfpod at gmail.com. I would love to to get some like video questions. That would be fun. So play your guys recording on the show. That would be really cool. But uh, yeah, let's keep the conversation going. Hit me up on Twitter and uh, we'll keep talking about fighting. Till then, have a blessed day. I really hate people that say that. <laughs>